Now this morning I'm going to return to my series on spirit-filled relationships. Those of you who've been following the series will know that we began Ephesians chapter 5 around verse 18 where we spoke about the effects of being filled with the Spirit. And the first immediate effect is your relationship with God, being Spirit-filled, Spirit-directed, the Holy Spirit highlights and focuses your attention on Jesus. You fall in love with Him and discover that you are part of a loving community, not just you as an individual loving Jesus, but you are speaking together with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord together, loving Him together, thanking Him together, fearing Him together, and surrendering to one another and to the love of Christ in one another's lives. And then the ripple effect of a spirit-filled life expands outwards and hits in, every, in rapid succession the other major relationships in our life. First of all, husband and wife relationships, being filled with the spirit in your marriage. Then also parent-child relationships, being filled with the spirit in your family. And now we're going to look at how the, the ripples go further in, in carrying right the way into our relationships at work. Well, it's all about relationships. Holiness is a 100% relationship. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of relationship. He is the bond of perfection, the bond of love, so real, so powerful between the Father and the Son that He, the Holy Spirit, is the third member of the Trinity, the spirit of love, the spirit of fellowship. So if you are enjoying the spirit-filled existence, the spirit-filled lifestyle, your relationships will be growing and flourishing, even in the workplace. Let's read Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Being filled with the Spirit in the workplace. I'm going to focus on two things, look a little bit about work itself. Look at work. Is there, is there a theology of work? Is there a Christian perspective of work or is it just something we all have to go through? and then look to see how we can transform our workplace environment into a spirit-filled place where we can discover our destiny, where we spend most of our time in our work life, how we can discover our destiny, how we behave at work, the relationships that we develop at work, our attitude to work itself, to those, our colleagues and relationships at work. Why is it all so important? I'm extremely fortunate and blessed. And I remember before I was saved, I came to Britain from uh, Australia to train with the, with the RBS 
and uh, it was fantastic. I just remember one occasion in my RBS training when I was uh, there gathered with other, other trainees and I was looking at the sun coming right into the, the glass and, was, and just beautiful environment we were training and, and I thought this, this is amazing. Oh, by the way, RBS, I don't mean Royal Bank of Scotland, I'm talking about the Royal Ballet School. Uh, just, just in case you thought I had some background in, in, in finance. Uh, yes, this was in the Royal Ballet School and I, I remember thinking, you know, where else could I be and I'm doing something that I love. I'm training for a profession that I just think is amazing and working very hard on disciplining a body which would become the, the instrument, the musical instrument, the instrument of expression of, of my medium of dance. And uh, even then, as a non-believer, wasn't yet a Christian, I was able to sort of uh, somehow feel the dignity of what I was doing. It was something high level, uh, something that touched, came from deep within me, creative expression, discipline, development, so that I could develop a way of creative and cultural expression, and I felt so blessed, amazing. Anyway, uh, a couple of years later, I found Christ, and, and, and he redirected my life outside of the world of creative media and arts. As my, as my wife says, don't believe a word of it, Colin. You can take the man off the stage, but you can't take the stage out of the man, so here's I am before you today. And there is a bit of a continuity between the two, I suppose. But uh, I highlight both those things because how blessed it is to be doing something that you love, that really calls on the very best of your talent, your ability, surrendering it to God, serving Him in both those ways, whether it's in the wider community or in that narrow, more narrow expression of my work now, which is ministering mainly to the body of Christ. You let me out occasionally. I was away a week or so ago in, in Brazil, had a wonderful time uh, finding, leading people to Jesus and so on. But this somehow to me highlights the importance and significance of work. It's more than a job. A job is kind of what you do to earn a living, but your work is your vocation. And in every message of mine, I highlight for you what I want you to take home with you. And uh, this that I want you to take home with you is something that's going to be picked up in the questions that I'm asking you to address in your cell groups, the practical study that follows this message. Some of you will be doing that today and throughout the rest of the week, and I've emailed out to all the cell leaders these questions and this study, and it's practical, it's about applying the Word of God. There's some copies here after the service if you haven't yet picked up your email and you want to use it today. And here it is. Here's the take-home statement. Your occupation is the location of your true vocation. Now that's not a new saying to us, it's what we base the whole of our life and work and ministry here, and we have established a system of cell groups whereby every single one of you can grow as a believer in Jesus outside of the main services, and where, right where you are, usually where you work, where you spend most of your time, you can build a cell group whereby you can be encouraging people to find Christ and help them grow and develop in the things of God. And so, your workplace is not just something you do in between the Sundays. And your relationship with Jesus is not just about Sunday. 
Of course, thank God, you come and attend a church building on a Sunday, that's amazing, but your faith belongs to the whole of your life. We have some great heroes of the faith, evangelical faith, and um, many wonderful Christians from all traditions, but we have some wonderful heroes in the evangelical tradition. One of them is Lord Ashley, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury, who in the 1800s was used by God to express his evangelical faith in the public arena, introducing various measures through Parliament to alleviate social working conditions, particularly for the poor and for children, banning children from working from a certain age, cutting down their hours so that uh, for, uh, for older children. And uh, it's interesting to read a quote from the Earl of Shaftesbury. You know, he's got this... Um, wonderful memorial there in, in Piccadilly Circus, as he discusses with his uh, time-old friend, Edwin Hodder, and uh, he's explaining why he spent so much of his life as an evangelical believer in social reform. And this is what he said. My religious views are not very popular, but they are the views that have sustained and comforted me through all my life. I think a man's religion is worth, if it is worth anything, should enter into every sphere of life and rule his conduct in every relation. I have always been, and please God, always shall be an evangelical. And that's very staggering to me for a number of reasons. First of all, you assume that back in that day, it was the good old days, everybody loved Christians. No, they did not. The evangelical faith is a faith that has to make it stand in every generation. An evangelical faith simply means that we believe the Bible to be the word of God, Jesus Christ to be the one and only Savior, and he, we need to be saved through faith in him. But also, it goes on to say that our faith must be expressed in what we do. Now it's interesting that back in the day, he says, my, my, my faith is not very popular, but of course, we look back at that time and we say, yeah, it is so important that you made your faith public. And today, our society is saying, be quiet about your faith, keep it to yourself, it's, it has no place in the public arena. And the truth is, if it were not for evangelical campaigners and others of a religious faith who have a social conscience, our working conditions today would be so much worse. Next week we will go on and talk about how Paul's teaching that I'm going to present today is the very kind of teaching that brought slavery itself to an end in the, in the ancient world and of course in with the works of such people as William Wilberforce, again an evangelical com campaigner. So we do need to express our faith in public. A little bit about uh, theology of work. Um, don't be frightened by the word theology. It means that God has something to say about it. You talk about your secular work, I don't think that term really adds up. If your work is your calling, your life is your calling, and God is interested in work. So what is the Christian view of work? Work is sacred, amen, hallelujah. It's holy, uh, purposeful, and God-given. Talking about your work, not your job. Your job is how you earn money. Your work is how you live your life. It's your calling. This was instituted by God from the very beginning. He is the one who was the first worker. 
He created the world in six days. Seventh day, he rested. And, and just to the eve of that, he created mankind. And we were born into a world that was completed and perfect and wonderful to enjoy the fruits of the labors of God, entering into the rest of God. How wonderful it is that the Christian gospel picks up that same theme because the work of Jesus Christ ended and we enter into the rest. Jesus has done the work and we enjoy the fruits of it. But from the very beginning, it's more than simply enjoying the fruit of God's labor and God's provision. We participate with God in the administering of it with a very special authority. We were created in the image of God. So God said to Adam, you've got to tend the garden, beautiful garden, but keep the, before even weeds grew, after the fall, work became a whole lot harder. But you tend the garden and the fruit that is growing, you still have to pluck it and prepare it. And the good gold, as God said, here's the good gold. You go back to Genesis 1, where the good gold was, you've got to go mine it and get it. So there's always work to do. Uh, and uh, so we have a managing director and a, and a chief executive officer, that's the man and his wife, and they are serving God in their scope for expansion, fill the earth and subdue it, and there's a global company, a global brand happening, and wealth sharing schemes, well-being, shareholders, stakeholders, clients, absolute a hive of business, a hive of industry, hive of activity, but there was an overarching purpose. I told you that I was brought up in Australia, and I remember occasionally, I don't know how many times in my primary school years, we would get a visit in our area from the Viceroy of Australia. The Viceroy of Australia was a man with a fine feathered hat, I remember that much, and a very strange English accent, and he was the Queen's representative. The Queen is still the head of, uh, of state, and so the Viceroy is there, the Queen's representative. And he would stand up with great pomp and ceremony and stand and say, I have come to represent Her Majesty the Queen. And, and I thought, just when you thought you couldn't hear a stranger English accent, he pressed a tape record, big wheels started turning, and there was this voice from Her Majesty the Queen, my husband and I. And for the rest of the day, we were mocking this, this English accent. And now when I go back, I'm the one who's mocked. <laughs> By, with my English accent. And uh, the good thing was he had the authority to represent the Queen and he, just, he went over the heads of everybody and gave the kids a holiday. And every time he came, we'd have a school holiday. That's a kind of picture of what God has done for you and me. We are made in his image and we are his viceroys. We are here representing his kingdom. So when he says, fill the earth and subdue it, he's saying, establish through the activity, the work that I give you, my kingdom. So my kingdom of order can spread. And that's the root and origin of work. After the fall, work became harder and without redemption, it is mere labor. But in Christ, as we learn to creatively serve God in the workplace, it's the outworking of God's kingdom. You might think, my job is not worth very much. I've got to put these papers in a pile and so on. But there's a whole lot neater by the time you finish. You're bringing order into a world reflecting God's kingdom and God's authority. And you must understand that your occupation 
is the very location, the place where you spend most of your time, where God calls you to exercise your gifts, to demonstrate his authority in your life, and to make some changes and influence your in-work environment, and through your work environment, influence the world. And we shall see that can have very far-reaching uh, implications. That's a little bit of an introduction to, to work. So now, why does Paul, when he wants to talk about work, uh, talk so much about slavery? This teaching about work is in the context of slaves and masters. And that seems extremely irrelevant to us and anachronistic, although there are more slaves in today's world than back in that time. And uh, we are Christian campaigners today are talking about people trafficking and so on. So it's a, it is a red-hot issue, but we need to enter this world a little bit. The first thing I need to let you know is Paul is in no way condoning or advocating slavery. He is dealing with a real situation that faced them, and the situation that faced most of the people that he'd be speaking to in these letters. We're told that one out of five or one out of six people in the entire Roman Empire were slaves, and in the Rome itself, around 30%, one in three were slaves, and many, many, many of the people who were saved were not those from noble birth and so on. And so the chances are that many of the people who are in the churches were from this sector of society. And even more than that, slavery was the bedrock of the social, economic, and even the religious order of the day. Many slaves were religious slaves, and much of the sex slaves of the day were linked with various acts of pagan worship, uh, which involved uh, different forms of sexual immorality. And so it would have been as useless as the Apostle Paul to ban slavery in, a, in a, the stroke of a pen as it would be to ban, for example, electricity from today's world, because it was that necessary for the whole functioning of society. And remember also, the gospel is not primarily about social reform. Jesus came as a savior, not as a social reformer. And I don't mean to say that those two things are mutually exclusive, but I emphasize that to show that the first slavery we need to be set free from is the slavery from our sin, the slavery of our sin. We need to be set free from that. And the gospel is first of all about how we can be made right with God, and then when that relationship is established, we begin to see it outworked in every other relationship. And I believe that Paul's gospel has enough in it to kill slavery dead. And of course it did, over the centuries, make that change. So Paul is being real, he's also being relevant. This was the reality for a great number of people that he was speaking to. And by the way, if what he teaches about slaves applies to slaves, how much more does it apply to us? When we see what he teaches, if you teach about unpaid work, forced labor, how much more does this apply to labor which is remunerated? So he's being real relevant and he's also being radical. 
because he gives an opportunity now to take a bad situation. I mean, this was a scourge, it was a terrible, appalling, shameful situation, the way people were owned by other people and how people would be, would be captured at, you know, at sea or at war or, or during times of famine and, and tremendous catastrophe. They were sold into slavery. Even parents would sell their children into slavery because they couldn't, couldn't feed them. So with all of that terrible background and pain, then on top of it, to be owned by somebody and to be treated so badly. Slaves had absolutely no rights whatsoever. They didn't have rights as humans and individuals. They were the property of their owners. And if you were disciplining your slave and injured them even to the point of death, you could never be held to account for that because they were your property and you could do whatever you wanted with them. A cruel institution suffering such degradation, humiliation. Many of the slaves were sex slaves, as I say, harsh punishments, victims. I mean, but when Paul says, treat one another, even in that institution, treat one another the way Christ would have you treat one another as brothers and sisters, as people who love God and know God. When you start treating one another like that, every institution will fall down. And this is the key, this is the secret of Christianity's success. It's about relationship. You get your relationships right and you will change the world. You will change the world. And so, he undermines the foundations of slavery. So, the question is, what does spirit-filled living look like in the context of work? So he says two things, boiling it down to this. He says to the slaves, behave as free people. And then to the masters, behave as slaves. Completely reverses it. Workers behave as if you were free. Martin Luther, the architect of the great Protestant Reformation of the 1600th, 16th century, had a saying like this, something like this. He said, the Christian is the greatest free lord of all, and therefore subject to nobody. But the Christian also is the greatest slave of all, and subject to everybody. Interesting. Our freedom is always tasted and experienced to the full when we are serving somebody else. Especially when we do it the way Paul describes it, from the heart. And he says to you, says to the slaves, now slaves, remember this. Your spirit belongs to God. And you have a choice. In the midst of difficult circumstances, even the harsh owners who are, who are treating you badly, as well as your brothers and sisters who treat you well, you've got a, a choice to make. And you can dignify how you live by making a choice to serve God in the midst of it. I had a bit of flu this week and nothing to feel sorry about. It's just one of those things. But you know how miserable you feel. You feel like you're in prison. You feel like you're being punished. You feel like you can't do anything you want to do. You feel constrained in some kind of prison. And it might not be actual physical slavery, but it might be a prison of circumstances. Anything that confines you, anything that restricts you, 
physical illness, circumstances of life, relational issues, problems, difficulties, you feel all hemmed in. Before you start crying out to God for deliverance, ask God this, how can I honor you in this situation? Let Christ break in. When he breaks in on the inside out, do you know what? You, you just get so excited, you just get so happy, even if nothing ever changes. Even if it never changes, he's shown you the secret. Last week, Artie Kendall was talking about how he met Corrie Tem Boom of the Hiding Place story. A couple of sisters from the Netherlands helping Jews escape the Nazis during the Nazi occupation, Second World War of Holland. And they were sent to concentration camps and, and there they were in the midst of this incredible suffering, do, suffering for the sake of Jesus. Betsy, the elder sister, died in that confinement and Corrie was released and went around the world saying there's no pit deeper than God's love is not deeper still. And this is what they prayed in that hell on earth situation. And they could smell the burning flesh from the, from the ovens when their backs were breaking and fingers were bleeding, bodies emaciated through the cruel treatment out there in the quarries. Lord Jesus, teach us how to love you and serve you in this situation. That's something you can bring to God which is so precious. It's the very depth of spiritual maturity. Of course God will hear our cry. We cry for deliverance. But in the midst of it, how do I serve you? And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 verse 13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That principle of love making you the biggest bondservant of all. Jesus in his love is the greatest slave, the greatest servant that ever lived. Every breath was devoted to the Father's pleasure. Every action on the earth was about serving us at our deepest need, our slavery to sin. And so when we are full of love and full of the Spirit of Christ, we are free and we take that free will, that choice, and say, in my freedom, I choose to serve others. And you apply that into the workplace and you watch a revolution take place in Britain. It's only happened once or twice in all of my experience, but I ha it has actually happened when I've had a telephone call from an employer saying, what in heaven's name do you do to people in Kensington Temple? We had nothing. I'm, I'm not, oh, no, 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 no. And they describe a worker. Since this person's joining the company, I cannot believe this guy. I cannot believe. It's so unreal. He is always at work on time. 
He never insults. He never answers back. He never pilfers. He is never argumentative. He never complains. Does everything he anticipates. In fact, I just wanted to call you, and he told me about his Christian faith, and he told me about Kensington Temple, and I just want to congratulate you. Whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. That's what's, and it happened once or twice. And in another part, similar teaching, Paul says, you should work in such a way that your lives adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So they say, keep, I get lots of telephone calls, emails saying, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're doing? You're producing such amazing, disciplined people. Is that your attitude to your work? Is that how it works with you? Or is it something that you, you're still part of this negativity of this so-called revolution, which is a revolution of social destruction, which seeks to undermine authority in the workplace or authority in different parts of society. No, 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 no. When you are free, you know how to serve. So in verse 5, it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. So they're only your masters according to your flesh. In other words, physically that's true, but spiritually it's not true. You are set free. You are free people spiritually. I mean, the pe- you might be in prison today. You're hearing my voice. You might be in prison. If you know Jesus, you are freer than the people outside who don't know Jesus. Your spirit is free. So he says, but now be obedient to them. Interesting. This is about authority. One of the things that our generation does not like is any kind of authority. Nobody likes to admit that there is anybody who has any authority over them. This is the lordship of self. I'm my own boss. I'm master of my own destiny. You don't tell me what to do. I've been there in court myself. Not for any misdemeanor on my side so far in my life. Thank God. Keep praying for me. But trying to represent other people. And I've seen people in the dock when they are being clearly convicted of stuff, saying, you've no right to speak to me like that, your supposed blankety-blank honor. And you just just imagine, they, they learn sooner or later. They may have rebelled against authority in the home and say it doesn't exist, or in school. They may uh, even resist the police. But God has said authority in our society, and that authority extends to the workplace. Your boss is in authority over you. I emphasize all the harsh words, so you go (laughs) like that. We don't like it, but God has established it. Okay? So respect to people in authority over you is a Christian virtue. And you give it freely not because you have to, but you're honoring God. Be astonishing how far you get. There was somebody came to me once complaining, very, very upset, mumbling and mumbling, passed over. What else did I say? Passed over. Yes, the Passover. No, no, I've been passed over. What do you mean? <laughs> and somebody else got the promotion. Which promotion was that? I don't know. In the office, they promoted over me. So I said, oh, dear. I thought in my mind, didn't say anything yet. In a few more seconds, I'm going to pass you over. <laughs> Miserable Christian you. And, well, tell me about it. Well, what did, what did they say? Were you into me? Why didn't you get the promotion? Well, they said, I'm never on time. 
Well, are you on time? Not really. They say, I'm, I'm rebellious, I don't do what I'm told. Well, what do you think about that? Who are they to tell me what to do? I remember a staff member is no longer with us. The details of the story have been kept anonymous to, so I can protect the name of the guilty one. And there they were. First day, late to work. New staff member in Kensington. Second day, late to work. Third day, late to work. Fourth day, listen, you can't come late. I thought this was a church. <laughs> well, you mean come late to a service? Come late to a job? No, 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 your employment here. I thought this was a church. I don't like your attitude. Don't like my attitude. <laughs> Michelle, get the P45. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. You're serving Jesus. You don't take advantage of your boss because your boss is a Christian. You serve your boss better. And if your boss is not a Christian, one of those horrible people, harsh people, serve them ten times better than that. And you'll soon see how your behavior starts winning them. He says, obey, obey from the heart with fear and trembling. Here's a picture, says, you slaves, cringing, fearful slaves, you know, be afraid but of the fear of God. Do this not out of the craven fear of your master who will be harsh with you, but, but serve in such a way that you're in fear and trembling. You want so much to honor God in your workplace. I, I tell you what, you, you people like that, you live like that, you won't have to write a CV anymore. When you go for a job, your CV will write itself. Write itself. It says, do this as I, uh, not with eye service, as men pleasers. But do for the will of God from your heart. What's the idea of an eye service? It's a person, it's a bit like, the still, we watch this still. Now they're brought in average speed checks to, to kind of, there's always one step ahead of, of the sinners out there, these traffic people, you see. So they used to have these blisk things. You go, blisk. And you say, okay, better slow down because a big flash is coming. And thank God they give the little graduated lines. And, oh, there's one coming. So in a 40-mile speed limit, 60 miles an hour. And here comes the speed trap, 40 miles an hour. End of speed trap, 60 miles an hour. You never get caught. That's an eye pleaser. That's somebody when the bosses around all full of smiles, sharpen the pencils. Oh, 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 this, oh, this pen, <laughs> it belongs to the office. And, oh, that piece of paper, no, 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 I'm not pilfering, I'm not pilfering. But as soon as the boss goes away, every pocket full, <laughs> sit down there, enjoying the rest of the day. No, 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 no. Fearing God, loving God, giving, giving your boss everything, everything you possibly can. And the people of God said? Amen. All right, okay. And now then, here it is. Paul says, do this knowing that whatever good anyone does, we're in verse 8 now, I hope you're following me up, it says there, uh, doing whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. So you're doing it for God, you're looking for your reward from God, you're wanting to please God, and a person who is genuinely seeking to please God will always please others, they will be pleasing to others, not all the time, but eventually it'll become clear and God will honor you. Now then he turns tables now and talks about the uh, masters. And if he said to the slaves, act free, he says to the masters, act like slaves. And his first instruction is verse 9. 
And you masters, listen to this, think of the implications of this. And you masters do the same things to them. I mean, he's just demolished slavery right there. Can you see? So he says, slaves, this is how you should treat your masters. Treat them with respect. Serve them. Minister to them. As unto the Lord. Do it from the heart with fear and trembling. Now masters, do the same things to your slaves. This reciprocal teaching is placing slaves and masters on an equality before God which is sufficient to destroy the very institution of slavery itself. Paul knows exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing. Do the same things to them. Giving up threatening. Now, harsh, cruel treatment. Motivating by the whip or the lash. No, 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 no. You got to understand, have some fear before God, knowing that you are accountable. In all authority. Now, authority is established in lots of ways. There is authority that God has established in the church. Spiritual authority is vitally important for you to recognize and to submit to. Spiritual authority is for your own good. Governmental authority. Authority in the family. Authority in the workplace. But God speaks to every person holding authority and influence over any person's life. Do so with fear and trembling because you will be held to account for the exercise of your authority without mercy because God, you are accountable to him. Interesting, isn't it? And that's, remember, this is God's job. The abuse of authority. Can't believe it when husbands abuse their authority in the home. Parents abuse their authority uh, to, to their children. Pastors and spiritual leaders, the abuse of, of, of authority. Spiritual abuse is rampant in the body of Christ. And it's a shame. It's a crying shame. God will hold every single person to account in the exercise of of their authority. And so, the Apostle Paul says, don't treat them harshly. There's no partiality with God. Treat them in the same way that I've been telling them to treat you. And you know, sometimes when, when there's been any kind of abuse of authority, you, you feel so diminished, don't you? You feel so humiliated even if it's some of the petty rules and of um, bureaucracy. And uh, some people just give them a cap and a uniform and they think they are, I don't know, Hitler reincarnated, I don't know. I, I remember I was in a place in West London. This, is, this actually happened exactly. A man was wearing two hats, two caps. And you come in the one side, this is where all the confectionery was and there was some popcorn and some, uh, you know, tea and a polystyrene cup and that kind of thing. And, and the other side was the entrance to this museum kind of area. And so I go up to where the man was standing. So I said, oh, uh, how much is it uh, to, to get into the museum? He says, I can't tell you. I said, you mean you don't know? I know, but 
You can't tell me. No, nope, can't tell you. Well, 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 why? You have to go and stand over there. So I went over there, stood over there, waited, took his hat on, put another hat off, and he said, yes. <laughs> Can I help you? It's like a Monty Python sketch. Can I help you? I said, yes, I just told you. Told me what? How much? And then he said, how much is a biscuit? Oh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> go put another hat on to tell me what the biscuit is. So that, that's in a small way. But if you, if you have a bank account issue or a problem with utility bill, or you're trying to communicate to somebody, they never get the right story, they never listen to you. It's so frustrating when people have some kind of authority and it's your money, it's your time, and you think you're doing them a service. My, 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 my. If somehow the Christian church could take the service mentality out into the world and show the world that we love one another by the way we serve one another, whether we are employers or employees, we would start a real revolution. So, behaving like this at work expresses the lordship of Jesus over the whole of life. And that's something that people misread Christians over. They think we are Christians only for a couple of hours on a Sunday. But no, 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 no. We are lovers of God throughout the whole of the week. And our occupation, where we spend most of our time, is the location, the place where God has established us to serve Him in our true vocation, to demonstrate the true nature of God, especially relationally, how we treat one another, how we treat our work colleagues, how we think of our work, how we think of the people around us, how we treat them. And in all of this, we create an environment which is fruitful, where we can fulfill our calling, represent Jesus, begin to influence our world for Christ, knowing that our service for God is linked with our freedom in Christ. So your occupation is the location for your true vocation. That's spirit-filled living in the workplace. Thank <laughs> you.